Jesus' ministry right now is a ministry of intercession. Romans 8.34, who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Isn't that fantastic? Jesus is interceding for you right now. Jesus' ministry while he was on earth was a ministry of intercession. We read a moment ago, verse 32, Luke twenty two thirty two. But I have prayed for thee, Peter, that thy faith fail not. One of the greatest intercessory prayers ever prayed. It's found in John 17. John 17 was Jesus praying for his disciples and for us. Not in the garden, before he ever entered the garden. John 17, incredible. Jesus' ministry while he was on earth was a ministry of intercession. Our marching orders commission us to the ministry of intercession. We covered that a couple of weeks ago. Ephesians 6, 18. After the pieces of the armor are listed, we are given our marching orders. Verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication. For all saints. If the words for all saints weren't, wasn't, if those words weren't there, you might be able to make the argument, well, that's not talking about intercession. But for all saints, that's intercession by definition. So tonight, I simply want to look at what Jesus, what it says about Jesus' interaction with Peter here. And it's going to go very quickly. How to think like an intercessor. Some thoughts about how to think like an intercessor based upon Jesus' interaction with Peter. First of all, I want you to notice that Jesus' burden for the lost did not cancel out his burden for the saved. Every one of us ought to be burdened for the lost. And yet sometimes we might think of ourselves that, well, which one am I? Do I have my burden for the lost or my burden for saved people? Both. Tell me, please, why you have to choose between the two. Tell me why you can't have a burden for the lost and a burden for your fellow believers. And just because you are burdened to intercede for your brothers and sisters in Christ, how does that cancel out your burden for lost souls? Certainly Jesus was burdened for the lost. He wept over Jerusalem many times. He said, pray the Lord of the harvest that he would send laborers. He said to his disciples in John 4, lift up your eyes and behold the fields. They are white unto, har unto harvest. Jesus certainly had a burden for the lost. Why would he go to the cross if he didn't have a burden for lost people? But that was no competition with his burden for saved people. Say, well, hey, they're not going to hell. What's, what's, what could the burden be there? Because getting saved is only a part of the mission. We've, talked, we've covered this many times. But Romans 8 says God's purpose is not just to justify us, but to cause us to be conformed to the image of Christ. You get saved and stop there, you're, you're like, uh, you know, Pillsbury dough that sits on the counter never makes it into the oven, which I've been known to consume a time or two, but that's beside the point. You're not finished. And we shouldn't be content for fellow believers to 
not run their course to be less than perfected when they stand before God. So Jesus' burden for the lost didn't cancel out his burden for the saved. Jesus' great burden at that moment, Simon, Simon, Satan had desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. Uh, he had a burden for Peter at that moment. Jesus, and, and let me say, you, we can debate about, well, wait a minute, Jesus hadn't died yet, so we can't really call Peter saved. You know what I'm saying. All right, if, if anybody had believed on Jesus and his ministry on earth, even though the gospel wasn't complete yet, if anybody had believed on Jesus, it was Peter. And so for the sake of this discussion, it is safe to call Peter saved, all right? Secondly, Jesus knew that Peter was a target for Satan. We need to know the nature of our enemy well enough to know that every one of our fellow believers is a target of Satan. We read the Bible very selfishly sometimes. Be sober, be vigilant for your adversary. The devil walketh about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And we say, oh, he's after me. Once in a while, do us good to say, oh, he's after Ted. Oh, he's after Zach. Oh, he's after Steve. It's not always all about us. We can get burdened for our fellow believers and say, oh, man, he's trying to bring them down. Jesus knew that Peter was a target for Satan. And if we understood that our fellow believers are targets of Satan, maybe it would move us to get out of that bed when God prompts us at 2 o'clock in the morning and spend a few moments God, please, help my brother. Lord, tell me who I need to pray for right now. Nobody comes to mind. Just call out as many names of your fellow believers as you can think of. Why? Because we know that our brethren are targets of Satan. Something else, Jesus knew how bad things could get for Peter. Peter couldn't see it clearly. But Jesus knew how bad things could get. A sign of inex or, or a, a result of inexperience is that when someone is less experienced than you are, they don't understand how bad things can get. When you're driving that car and your little boy or little girl wants to steer and not just help steer, they want you to take your hands off the wheel because they don't understand that one pothole, the destruction it can do, could mean most of both of your lives. Sign of immaturity is that inexperienced people don't know how bad it can get. Maybe there's nothing you can do to convince them, but you can intercede for them. You can say, Lord, this young man, this young lady, sort of carefree, not careful. Oh, God, they are prime candidates for Satan to get his hands on them and destroy them, take them out early. God, please, I beg you, pray specific things. Let the Spirit of God lead you 
in praying specific things. There are things in my prayer list. There are eight things that I pray for every one of you every day. But then there are specific things that when I come to you, maybe you've asked me to pray for something. Or maybe uh, they're just, just something that the Lord puts on my heart. You really need to pray specifically about that for that person. I don't have a super detailed prayer list because I can't keep up in any area of life with super details. But I do have things either written down or in my mind that when I come to someone's name, Lord, please help them with that, with that conflict. The older we are and the more experienced in the faith we are, the more we need to be able to see that someone younger than us in the faith or in years is headed for danger. And it's not a time for a lecture. I mean, they may need a word from you in, in a loving way, but more than anything that your word can say, get on your knees. I am amazed at how many times I've gone to the Lord and say, God, I am worried about so-and-so. Please step in. How God does things to give that person a wake-up call. God knows how to give wake-up calls. He knows how to get people's attention. He knows how to put a detour. But for some reason that I still don't think I have figured out, he counts on us to intercede before he puts that detour down. Jesus knew how bad things could get for Peter. Jesus knew that Peter's time of proving was soon. Now, I don't know. I, I'm, I, these are the kind of thoughts that I kick around in my mind. Okay, before the cock crows twice, you will deny me thrice. Is that foresight? Is that the leadership of the Spirit? How does he get there? I don't know. But I'm pretty sure, and I hate to say this because so, it sounds like lack of faith, but I'm pretty sure that's not for me. You know what I mean? I'm saying the ability to be able to say, uh, you know, Brother Steve, I'm picking on you tonight, I'm sorry. Brother Steve, by the time you get to your third traffic light tonight, you're going to cuss out two people on your way. Um, and Sharon already knows he is anyway. That's no prophecy there. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> but, no, I don't, I don't think that that kind of word is for me. But what we can see is this. We can see that people, oh, man, how many teenagers over the years, how many teenagers have we seen get complete? And if you just got your license, I'm not, I'm not yelling at you, but how many teenagers have we seen go completely away from God as soon as they got their driver's license? It's like they couldn't find, and, and to be fair, and again, I didn't think this through. If this applies to anybody here, I'm not, I'm not focused on you. But to be fair, it's been people who had one parent pulling this way and another parent pulling this way, and they, they, it was a tug of war, and so as soon as that kid got their license, zoom, they were out of there. They could never find their way to church again. And um, so when you see that coming for someone, it may be time to intercede and say, oh, Lord, please don't let this be the thing. 
that gets him off track. Please don't let this be the thing that gets her off track. Jesus knew that Peter's time of proving was soon. As you look at life and how life goes, understand that there are times of danger. Graduation from high school is a time of danger. I just mentioned getting your license. Being a newlywed is a, is a time of, of danger. Uh, having children is a time of danger. Getting a, a, a job and, and your first job is a time of danger. The first time you have your own money is a time of danger. So many things that are dangerous and you don't have to go around wagging your finger and giving lectures, but go to the Lord and say, God, please watch out for them. Jesus knew that what Peter would need to spiritually survive was faith. A faith that would not fail. Now, Peter's downfall was much more than just denying Christ three times. I'm not minimizing that, but there was a whole series of things that happened that just put him in a tailspin for a few days. A tailspin that wasn't even cured when he found out that Christ was risen from the dead. He was still in his tailspin. Wasn't cured. Did He didn't get back on track until Jesus went back to the original miracle. If you go to John 21, I don't mean now, but and you look at what Jesus did there. And remember, Jesus and John 21 is just a stranger on the shore. And they had labored all night fishing and had caught nothing. And what did Jesus say? Cast the net on the other side. Well, that's just a repeat of Peter's calling. That already happened. And so he cast the net on the other side and they couldn't bring in all the fish. And Peter instantly recognized that that's Jesus. And it's the same Jesus that called me. And that's when he jumped in the water and swam to shore. And Jesus went through. And so many things happened there. Uh, I, I've, very few commentators agree with this. But I, I believe, first of all, that when Jesus said, Lovest thou me more than these? I believe Jesus was taking Peter's words, though all forsake me, I will not, and putting them back in Peter's face. Oh, do you still love me more than everybody else? And you can just see Peter hanging his head in shame and saying, you know that I love you, Lord. And he did it three times, one time for each denial, one, a word of confirmation for each denial. Until they left the beach that day. Jesus, I'm sorry, Peter was still in a tailspin. And he still wasn't perfectly whole because as they walked away, what did Peter say? He pointed back at John and said, what about him? <laughs> he still wasn't completely cured yet. But between then and the ascension and Pentecost, God got a hold of Peter's heart. So he was, he was on his way to recovery. To full recovery. But Jesus knew that what Peter would need to spiritually survive was faith. A faith that would not fail. Well, let's break that down. I mean, just in a nutshell, what does that mean? That he would need faith to spiritually survive? He knew that Peter was about to drift 
for days. And that the only thing that was going to bring him back was his faith in God and in Jesus Christ. And that's what every one of us need. We need a faith strong enough to bring us back when we drift. Do you and I believe God enough? And hey, we're all going to drift. Maybe big drift, maybe little drift. We're all going to drift repeatedly. When you drift. By the way, don't take that as license. Well, I'm going to go ahead and drift because pastors are all going to do it anyway. That is stupid. But when you drift, is your faith strong enough to bring you back to that close relationship with Christ? So whether or not, according to Jesus, whether or not a person comes back when they drift has to do with how much faith they have. And the remedy is us interceding for one another. We could pray for every other person in our church. Lord, I pray for Brother Corky that when he is tempted, that his faith will fail not. I pray for Deb, that when her faith is, is tested, that her faith will fail not. That is a prayer that we could pray for one another, every single one of us. Thinking like an intercessor, just a couple more, we're all finished. Jesus knew that Peter didn't have it. Listen, to the, oh, don't miss this, please. Jesus knew that Peter did not have a destiny that made him foolproof in testing. Peter did not have a destiny that made him immune from failure or destruction. Don't make the mistake of only praying for the Christians that you think are struggling. Ah, I don't got to pray for them. They're, listen, they're such solid Christians. They're going to be fine. Oh, but this guy, man, he's, he's all over the place, up and down. He's, we don't pray for that guy, and guess what happens? His faith fails when testing comes. There is nobody, young or old, that is immune in a time of testing. That their destiny, how come? If anybody had a destiny that would make him immune from failure, it was Peter. He was going to be the first pope. Well, no, not actually, but <laughs> Peter was going to preach on the day of Pentecost. Peter was going to be the apostle to the Jews. Peter was going to write two Bible books. Certainly, Peter had a destiny that made him immune from failure. No, nobody's immune from failure. If Peter was immune from failure, Jesus would have just said, Peter, you're about to face some tough times, but you'd be all right. You'd be okay. He didn't. He said, I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. Jesus interceded for Peter, even though Peter thought he didn't need prayer. We need to intercede for people who don't ask for prayer. Jesus said, I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. Peter said, what are you talking about? I'm ready to go to prison with you. 
I'm ready to die for you. And there's no indication that Peter even showed up at the cross. But he thought he was all set. We need to pray for folks even who think that they're all set. Just pray for that kid. He's so cocky. That's the kid you need to intercede for. But you need to pray, intercede for the humble kid also. You need to pray for the friend who is begging for your prayers. And you need to pray for the friend who doesn't think they need anything. How many have a need tonight? Every hand goes up and there's just a couple. Of, ah, I'm good. I'm good. Oh, man. We better intercede for them too. Last thing. I love this. This is maybe the most important thing in our discussion tonight. Jesus had already prayed before Peter's crisis came. He said, I have prayed for thee. Think that through. That is just... I mean, here's the way we talk. Man, I'm sensing some trouble in your life. I'm going to be praying for you. Jesus said, I'm sensing some trouble in your life. I've already prayed for you. Didn't mean that he wasn't going to keep praying. But he'd already covered him in prayer. I beg you tonight. Cover one another in prayer. I don't mean to keep trying to freak you out. But we are living in a, at a point where literally, you have to know this, we are living at a point where we don't know what could drastically change between today and tomorrow. We don't know how our world can look. You know what's crazy? I stood before the Sunday dinner crowd in February, and remember, remember what was going on? It was, I never told you what was going on. I guess it's okay to say this now. I hope so. Uh, I don't think I ever said publicly what was going on with the building. But the, remember, remember we didn't know if we'd be able to get the gym again? Well, the guy that schedules the gym said, and you probably figured this out, but the church is on the market. And we can't promise that it'll be, if it sells, we can't promise it'll be available again in May. And for that reason, nothing to do with the virus, this was still the middle of February, nothing to do with the virus, we told those folks, hey, we don't know what the May Sunday dinner is going to look like. And I stood there wondering, is this going to be the last one just because of the building? I had no idea because of COVID and, and what, what the mayor has done with the homeless population in Danbury. And, and I'm not criticizing. I don't, he may be doing the right thing. I don't know. But where he has put them and how the city's going to take care of them, literally, if we had a, a, a Sunday dinner uh, next week, probably nobody would come. It could be over. I had no idea that when I told the people, now, look, we don't know what's going to happen, but we, we hope to see you again. There's folks that we've seen every Sunday dinner that we might not ever see again. That's, that's a heartbreak to me. Now apply that to just, just what you're seeing in the news every day. What law could be passed that's going to change your life, that your lifestyle could be different a week from now? 
What, what incident could happen that could cause your life to... I'm not trying to scare you. I'm trying to get us to intercede for one another. And let me, let me get more focused now and just say, our kids need our prayers. Our teenagers need our prayers. Our children need our prayer. Hey, Sunday school teachers, kids, we haven't been able to run a bus in months. Pray for those boys and girls in your class. Pray for those kids that you haven't seen in months. Pray for our teenagers. Pray for, obviously, for your own children. Pray for the children in our church. That God would strengthen them and help them for whatever the future brings.